0: Limited Hangout. I'm your host, Whitney Webb. Over the past week or so, the international media has been quite focused on the COP26 conference currently being held in Glasgow, Scotland, a conference which you may have heard described by mainstream media outlets as the most important climate focused conference in decades. However, if you've been following my recent work, you will know that this conference is a key part of the effort to transition from the COVID 19 inspired pandemic of fear to another pandemic of fear inspired by climate change. Such fear is necessary in order for the same forces present at COP26 to implement one of the conference's other main focuses, the infrastructure for a new economic system designed by Central and Wall Street bankers that, if implemented, will be for their benefit, not for the benefit of people and the planet. COP26 is giving some of the biggest plutocrats in the world the opportunity to greenwash their plans for complete economic domination, which includes, among other things, the financialization of the entire natural world under the guise of protecting it. Though COP officially stands for Conference of the Parties, what it really should stand for is Conference of Propaganda, as the most vocal proponents of so-called drastic climate action at the conference have already, just in the conference's first few days, engaged in gross acts of hypocrisy that show that they want the public to be afraid of climate peril and to completely transform their lives to ostensibly combat it while they themselves continue to live luxurious lives that are unimpeded by carbon rationing and other such measures they publicly promote. Joining me today to discuss these issues and more is Charlie Robinson. Charlie is the host of the Macroaggressions podcast, which you can find on Rockfin and other podcasting platforms, and he is also now the author of several books, the most recent of which was published in September, and is called Hypocrisy, spelled hypocrazy, surviving in a world of cultural double standards. This is also his third appearance on the Unlimited Hangout podcast, having previously appeared in episodes 2 and 11. Great to have you back on the show, Charlie. How's it going?
1: It's going fine. How are you doing?
0: Oh, you know, as well as anyone can be in these crazy times. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah. And I'm
0: about to bring another little person into this crazy world, so...
1: That's you know, OK. I feel like that might help to balance out some of the crazy being raised by you. Your kids are going to have a um, a much different view of the world than most people out there that refuse to be aware of what is happening uh, around them.
0: Well, thanks. I actually uh, sort of expanded on, on my views on that. And it was featured recently on a in a Corbett Report uh, podcast about, you know, why having kids these days is really important for people that are aware of these Uh, issues and bigger things at stake. So, um, you know, (laughs) even though things seem dire, it's still important to remember that we're ultimately uh, fighting against uh, what more often than not looks like a death cult. And what better way to do that than by, uh, you know, prioritizing life, however, uh, one does that in their in their life.
1: Absolutely. I think I think that's probably the best strategy towards dealing with this evil that's in the world.
0: Right on. So you have a new book out called Hypocrisy, Hypocrazy, (laughs) uh, which examines eight major areas of hypocrisy that are staring us in the face every day. Uh, So with climate change now being the topic of the hour in the mainstream media, um, most recently because of COP26, right? Um, What have your favorite moments of hypocrisy uh, at the conference uh, been so far? (laughs)
1: Well, there's where do I even begin? There's so many to choose from. I mean, we could start with the 400 private jets that are flying in for this climate conference. That would be a little too obvious, though. Or maybe even maybe the motorcades, maybe how many people Biden brought with him and all of the change, you know, the cars and the beast and all of that stuff that goes. But uh, how about we just settle on the fact that the largest contributor of pollution in the world, China? isn't at the conference and has no interest of being at the conference and has told those people at the conference, uh, you know, if you'd like for us to join, maybe we'll do it via Skype or something, but, uh, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not coming to meet with you guys. So it's really hard to, I mean, it is a conference of hypocrisy because this green new deal, this greenwashing, this carbon zero desire that these people have is, uh, it, first of all, it's, it's, it's unattainable and and shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't even be trying to get to carbon zero. But beyond that, if you made a list of the least likely people to actually hold up their end of the bargain, it would be the people that are running these conferences right now. They're, they're the, um, they're the ones that need to be held accountable. And yet they're the, they're throwing the conferences, trying to tell us, you know, of course, flipping the blame onto the common people. It's always our fault that things are, Are going so wrong. If only we would do what they said, uh, this world would be a much better place. But I get the feeling that they have big plans for us on how they want to transform humanity, and it's probably not going to be in our best interest.
0: Yeah, well, I think that that is uh, (laughs) uh, pretty clear to say the least, given some of the big names attending this conference, people who aren't exactly known for putting the interest of the public or the planet first. You know, some of the big uh, headlines that have come out of COP26 uh, so far involve, uh, deals made, uh, or pledges made by, I don't know, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Larry Fink, Mike Bloomberg, um, you know, some of these people that normally, I guess people on, on the left or the progressive left, uh, normally, uh, hate on quite considerably, and, uh, but apparently when they, uh, Say they're going to donate X amount of money to the planet, you know, it's fine without even uh, really looking so much into what groups uh, they're actually giving money to. They have nice sounding names, maybe NGO names that imply that they're going to be involved in some sort of uh, sustainable uh, venture. But really, you end up looking at their their funding, I don't know, and you have like Syngenta, <laughs> GMO seed companies there. I mean, it's uh, uh, pretty insane. And I just... Um, I don't know. I I just uh can't believe uh that a lot of people are are falling for this. Um given given the parties involved, you know that these um uh you know COP uh, 26, they've made it pretty clear, you know, the first couple of days that have already happened were speeches by world leaders where they pontificate and and say blah 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 and and do like their PR spiel essentially. But after that it's really like closed door backroom deals between you know these clown politicians uh you know joe biden who falls asleep at the conference brings 85 cars and a motorcade and his speech is basically just like shitting on china and russia for not coming but you know i I don't know that's that's really in them
1: falling asleep but isn't that kind of perfect though isn't that isn't that a perfect encapsulation of America we just overdo it we bring the whole motorcade we spend the entire conference blaming everybody else and then when it's our turn we're asleep at the wheel i mean that, <laughs> is, that that pretty much just sums it all up he he went on to say this is not just a moral imperative but an economic imperative as well well listen i'm not interested in taking economic advice from joe biden yeah he is the wrong person to be in charge of the uh you know talking about uh, you know he he he's he's trying to pitch a 1.75 trillion dollar spending package with all these climate initiatives in it and uh, and he can't even stay awake during the conference now to be fair i would probably be falling asleep during these conferences as well actually i'd probably be so enraged that i would have to uh escort myself out but but it 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 says it says so much about um about America in general, but the, the fact that we come into these conferences and start trying to boss everybody around, and uh, and, and act like uh, you know act like we always do, and then you know leave the conference and go go home, and of course expect all these other countries to um, pick up a you know carry take take over for where we left off. I'm I'm not a huge fan of these summits. Uh, you and I were talking about uh, b- parallel summits or, or additional summits happening. B- b- uh, the Bloomberg New Economy Forum, we'll probably get into that. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you noticed, there is another forum that's called Forum for a New Economy, not to be confused with the Bloomberg New Economy oh, Forum. Oh god. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And this one is you will you'll appreciate. Is this
0: also this month in November?
1: <laughs> no, this this happened in Berlin, but it's uh, academic partners. They invited Harvard and Princeton, Columbia and Berkeley and London School of Economics and they had they had the same the same sort of thing they talked about a a concept called narrative economics and climate in having climate change <laughs> discussions uh, with the interest of reducing inequality and and the and the three Rs recovery resilience and renewal so it's not limited to these COP26 meetings where they get together and throw around all these buzzwords and then do nothing except enslave humanity it's uh it's a cottage industry
0: Okay, that's really funny Um, (laughs) that it's another new economy forum. It has how many R's? What, the three R's, the four R's?
1: It's got the three R's. It's recovery, resilience, and renewal.
0: I'm pretty sure the Bloomberg one has like the three P's or something like like that. (laughs) The Bloomberg New Economy Forum with the three P's and the Forum for a New Economy with four R's. I mean, these guys, man, they need to like diversify their PR teams. (laughs) Maybe just to the same.
1: The same think tanks are telling them, you know, what Americans really need, you know, well, listen, in America, we've got I put this in the new book, we've we've got the three R's reading, writing and arithmetic. And if you (laughs) go by that, that's actually quite fitting, too, because you would have to misspell two of the three R's in order to to be uh, grammatically correct. So that, of course, is yet another encapsulation of where America has gone (laughs) these days. But I digress.
0: All right. So, um. Uh, any other uh, acts of uh, uh, hypocrisy, really quick? You wanna you wanna touch on there? There was another one that I I did see more recently that was I think sixty percent of the meals being served at COP twenty six, um have have dairy and meat in them, and these are the people saying no meat for you, bug time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, um I I don't know I think it's just another encapsulation of uh, the same attitude that that was seen with COVID. You know, masks for. For thee, but not for me. Um yes. And quarantine for thee and not for me, and the same sort of attitude um, when it comes to the measures that we're hearing more and more about all the time they want regular people to implement um, in, in terms of uh, diet or travel, uh, things like that.
1: Well, I I did see Boris Johnson try to relate to the commoners by saying that the planet was down five to one, like it was a football game. But then... But after two days at this COP26 summit, he said that that his guys have scored two goals and it's now five to three. So in case you didn't already hate Boris Johnson enough, uh, if you're a football fan or in the United States, a soccer fan, uh, just know that he is now totally bastardizing your favorite sport by dragging this into the climate change. And in his mind, he just scored two goals in the last two days. So if you see Boris Johnson out and about, make sure to congratulate him in any way you see fit. Oh,
0: my gosh. What a clown. He and Joe Biden. Uh, what a pair. Anyway, um, speaking of other UK figureheads, uh, there was a bit of hubbub, I guess you could say, about a speech that Prince Charles of the UK uh, made. Uh, I believe it was opening day of COP26 um, in that speech. Uh, it actually was interesting that um, some what, what um, the excerpts of that speech that different mainstream media outlets chose to lead with, uh, a lot of them avoided um, what I would argue was the most uh, important part of that speech, uh, where he says, uh, quote, a vast military style campaign, end quote, uh, is needed to marshal the strength of the global private sector to push for a fundamental economic transition that's quite telling because this is supposed to be you know about environmentalism saving the planet blah 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 but here we have talks about fundamental economic transition global private sector vast military style campaign those aren't usually the words used by environmentalists um at least not typically uh i don't know it definitely uh seems a little alarming but it uh, it of course makes sense when you know uh, and, and start looking into a lot of the talk going on at top 26, just really about creating a new, um, economic system. As I sort of mentioned in the intro, uh, to this podcast, do you have any thoughts on that uh, particular speech?
1: So the biggest trust fund kid in the world, who is also Jimmy Savile's best friend, wants us to remake the economics of society. And we're just supposed to snap to it and get on it. I mean, it's so preposterous and insane, that these people have the audacity to stand up there like we care what they have to say. And and well, I guess we we sort of have to care in a sense because they're so dangerous. We have to keep an eye on them. But to have the audacity to think that we're just going to listen to what Prince char like Prince Charles, like in all, with all due respect, what has Prince Charles ever done that's worthy of him leading us into... Into anything. This is like an economic remaking of society. And this guy's going to be in charge of it. The guy that can't hasn't figured out a way to kill his mother and become king. So he's clearly not 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 uh, cut out for this job. Um, He's best friends with some of the worst people on the planet. His entire family is. They're they were Nazis back in World War II. We don't we're not allowed to talk about that. And these guys are in charge of the transformation. I mean, I feel like part of this is going to be on us to stand up and say, we refuse this, we are not participating in this. These are not the we don't we don't grant these so-called leaders the authority to, to change society. And we need to kind of take take some responsibility in this um, because they're going to uh, they're going to do whatever they want to us until we stand up. We've watched this over the last 18 months with COVID. It's quite clear. You can't reason with these people. You can't sit them down and explain, well, you know, I think this is a bad idea. They've got a much bigger plan. This is coming from people above them. This is coming for this is the the build back better directive and all that stuff. It's very, very important to their agenda that they that this all happen according you know according to the way in which they need it to happen but that is going to require us our compliance and that is something that we can and should withhold from this whole equation because if it's uh if we just allow them to push these agendas unfettered we're going to wind up enslaved and it's not even so much a matter of debate it's just an understanding of history and how things have gone for people in the past when they've They've granted the people in positions of power undue influence over their lives. It just never ends well. So we need to kind of take advantage of this wealth of information we have at our fingertips called the Internet, where, yes, there's a lot of fake stuff out there, but there's a lot of really good information out there too. read about history and understand what happens when authoritarian regimes like this. And this this is let's be clear, this is an authoritarian regime disguised as a climate savior coming to save the world from yet another invisible killer. First it was terrorism. Now, then it was COVID. It's just around the corner, Whitney. It's going to get you. If we don't throw more money at the military, that COVID is going to get you. And now it's carbon, which by the way, we need to live. And, 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 you know, in this planet, this beautiful planet that we're on has been functioning just fine for billions of years. But now Prince Charles needs to come and fix it. I don't know. Col- color me a little bit skeptical.
0: What this speech to me is saying, or particularly that part is he's talking about the global private sector, right? And so if you look at who's really driving a lot of this, it really does seem to come from the bankers, uh, the private sector, basically doing mm-hmm. a, a, a coup, essentially, you could argue, uh, to impose a new economic system, uh, on the world. Um. <laughs> and the 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 discussion of uh this military style campaign uh that phrasing i find really pub- vast military style campaign on the um to me really suggests uh, some sort of um authoritarian he's calling for an authoritarian uh, onslaught really um that sort of you know um oh this is a crisis on par with covid or worse or something like that so all the authoritarian abuses we saw during the covid crisis things like that and beyond will be justified in the name of saving the planet. And we're doing this, um, you know, to, to get to essentially force all private uh, financial flows, I guess you could say, um, into the creation of this new economic system. Um, I don't I don't know if you uh, agree with my interpretation there, but it definitely seems uh, pointing towards that. And if you look at, you know, some of the people we can talk about later that are really involved in a lot of stuff going on here, like Mark Carney, Larry Fink, um, some of these guys, it, it definitely seems like that is sort of where this is going.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, 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 it, it's disgusting, of course, but but not surprising that the that you're you're we're starting to see this is you know, people are always throwing around that term fascism and fascism and everybody's a fascist. And, but but in actuality, when you look at sort of the definition of fascism, the blending of the state and big business, that's really where we are here. That's that's that, that's a, a, a probably an, an accurate term for yeah. maybe corporatism. I don't know However you want benefit of the of the corporations well i mean they're both kind of benefiting here but they're going to find a way to um to run this through the the banks, we've already seen that with this this sort of i don't know quasi merger of the fed and blackrock and 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 what they're so doing insane. there
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: it's totally insane we're already seeing you know to to allow that company to be in charge of 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 them of money, and that it's we're we're getting into some very dangerous territory where the lines between corporate boardrooms and Washington think tanks are increasingly blurred it's hard to tell where the authority is coming from is it coming from Larry Fink i mean is i mean obviously he has a financial interest in this or is he being instructed by by people above him by by the atlantic council or the club of rome or or world economic forum or all three of them or you know who's who's invo- who's really involved in this and when you add that that layer of of big business to it, though you would, you might initially think, oh, well, this will add a layer of transparency. I would suggest it; it makes it even more murky to 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 figure out who's really in charge there. You add another board of directors with their sorts of uh, interests and things like that, and and, and we're going to get ourselves into a a very dangerous world where what we saw during COVID, the the activation, the deputization of the Karens of the world with the, the task of saving us from this virus. Just think, and, and the insanity that ensued with that, you know, calling the police if there are too many cars in your neighbor's driveway on Thanksgiving and, and, and that sort of madness. Just think what would happen when these people are tasked with their new responsibility of saving the world. Oh my God. I mean- It is going to be uh, not it's it's not just the surveillance state component of this that freaks me out. It's it's now my neighbors that are going to because everywhere you go with when you talk about, you know, the the coming social credit system, rewarding people that are ratting out their neighbors by increasing their social credit score is, is something that I think we could probably see. And you might not even need to incentivize them with that as long as they think that they're out there preventing you from, uh, you know, putting the last plastic bottle in, in the landfill that's going to ultimately send this earth, I don't know, exploding or whatever they think is going to happen when 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 we cross this imaginary threshold of destroying the world. It's It's going to get us into a situation where... The people that are hysterical about this are the most dangerous part of your day that <laughs> you're going to have to sort of inner inter, interact with them, navigate them at work. They're seeking to transform society, but they need our help in doing that. And if anything is uh, clear, it's that the. the 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 way they did that with covid, the mistakes that were made, I get the feeling they're going to try and learn from those with regard to this climate emergency that they're going to. That's coming in the heels of covid and um, they might not make those same mistakes twice.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say, too, and I think a lot of the way they're going to end up selling what they're setting up the infrastructure and planning for now at things like COP26 Um it, which, by the way, you know, the, the sort of power structure you were talking about. Um, my last guest, header uh, has a really good sort of hierarchy uh, view uh, uh, of what that system uh, looks like in practice. He calls it the global public private partnership. And really what we see at COP26 is, is, is that
1: yeah, yeah.
0: essentially taking place. But uh, you are totally right. They do really need regular people. Uh, to enforce this to some degree. And I think that's why it's so important to point out uh, to those people in advance um, that basically the people that created the environmental crisis they're so freaked out about are the ones allegedly planning how to save it, um, pointing out their plans to financialized nature and all of this stuff. But it, I, there is a hidden uh, issue here that you sort of touched on um, that that's starting to come to the forefront a little more that these there's these new um products I guess they're rolling out some some in the form of of credit cards some and you know uh I think there's one in Mexico that's like an app that gives you points for engaging in appropriate behaviors whoever you know decides what that appropriate behavior is is another issue entirely what you get points or you get money um uh, for engaging and they're essentially gamifying the the behavior they want people to engage in um and sort of what you laid out is how that could um develop in the in in, into the future Um, but i think a lot of people are unfortunately pretty susceptible uh, to that but i think the main selling point um, that they're going to be using here we've already sort of seen the crisis they plan to capitalize off of uh, form itself the supply chain crisis um, Mm -hmm. an energy crisis at least in in europe for now i think also in in china uh, potentially spreading uh, beyond that which of course you know uh, the energy crisis will likely lead to some sort of um a uh, restriction of food supply globally all of that i think they'll blame on climate change and when you have people in a situation of um food insecurity and having to choose between feeding themselves and heating their homes um it's going to be a lot uh, a, a lot of that hysteria you mentioned is going to be uh, much worse than it was during covid-19
1: yeah. And, and they're going to use. So there's also that science component to covid that um, there will be with this new environmental push as well, which is, hey, the science says that this virus is going to kill everyone. And then, of course, the science changes. But the, and, and we're not allowed to understand the science. We're just dummies. Right. We have to we have to I'll have the priest class interpret the data yeah. like the Fauci's of the world. And then he goes on you know, on high and receives the data and then he disseminates it to us And because we're too stupid to understand it. So the same tactics that they used with the covid uh, scientific information, which trust the science, there's no such thing as bot science. You know, only you know, the only source of authoritative news is coming from us. You send to Orden, you know, stuff like that. Expect that for the climate situation as well. Where they roll out the numbers, you know, 0.5 degrees centigrade of, uh, you know, rise already this year. And then they're going to say, you're anti-science if you don't believe all of this science. And you'll, of course, then you'll have articles out and Whitney will have written, yeah, well, if you check this company and who financed that company, you'll see that it was it leads back to this person. And everyone will go, see, the science is garbage, you know, but they'll do it and they'll get enough people that don't dig in. And they'll say, "Hey, listen. I saw it on MSNBC or CNN that that ocean temperatures are rising already, and that 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 you know we're we're all going to die in 12 years and all this stuff." And it's like this is so the same propaganda narrative of trust the science and and all of that. We should expect uh, even even the, the weird, the the very weird r- religious nature of COVID, the way, they did, the way people have embraced it. I watched this interview, a video interview with uh, somebody who she was a health minister, I want to say in Alberta, someplace. And she walked up to the podium. And at the podium, there was like a Purell pump, san- hand sanitizer thing in a pump. She walked up to the podium, didn't say anything, two pumps, wiped it in her hands, took her mask off on her right ear, took her mask off on her left ear, folded the flaps. put it carefully down on the, on the podium in front of her, did two more pumps, wiped it around in her hands and then took a breath and then went into her speech. And I was like, this is, this is like a ritual.
0: They've got, this, is yeah. like,
1: it's, it's, this is performance art or, or, or it had a religious feel to it. I was like, okay, they've got their little, they've got their, their talismans or something. They've got their, you know." It, in it it just occurred to me while watching that, that we had kind of joked about, you know, the, you know, they're the sort of the deification of Fauci and all this stuff. But but really, they took the idea of the covid and turned it into, you know, kind of cult like thinking. And I would expect that the same thing will happen with the climate. Well, I mean, I, I know it'll happen because we already have we've had a lot of that uh, for a while. We've had Greenpeace. We've had the Extinction Rebellion people and all and all that stuff. So. So we know there's going to be that, but but the idea that um, that that they're saving the planet and we're destroying the planet, and that every and humanity has to choose which side you're going to be on. Well, of course you're going to be on the side that's saving the planet, right? But the problem is that will be uh, a lie created by people that have a very easy time lying, and it takes me back to this. Um, To this, this, these two paragraphs that they wrote in this book, the club of the club of Rome put out this book, the Mm -hmm. limits to growth. And in that they kind of gave up the plan. Now, the club of Rome was started by uh, David Rockefeller and Dr. Alexander King, two of the objectively two of the worst people in the world, Dr. Alexander King started tavistock or he was involved in tavistock he was um he started co-founded nato the committee of 300 like a dangerous individual and when they put the club of rome together part of this was for the environmental side of it now if you can imagine david rockefeller caring about the planet well then you've the got a
0: oil family uh, how does everyone right. forget about this I right, have, right, ugh, right. Yeah,
1: he's coming to save the, the 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 world. But here's a little clip from their book, and it sort of gives up what their plan is. And this is what they say: the common enemy of humanity is man. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. All these dangers are caused by human intervention. And it is only through changed attitudes and behavior that they can be overcome. The real enemy then is humanity itself. We believe humanity requires a common motivation, namely a common adversary, in order to realize world government. It does not matter if this common enemy is a real one or one invented for the purpose. So... They, they are explaining that they are going to use the idea of global warming. This was written in 1971 when they put this out as the as the new enemy to unite us to create a one world government. And they don't care if they need to fake this enemy or not. I mean, it's it's really hard after reading that. It's really hard to take anything they say seriously.
0: Uh oh, well I'm really glad you brought up limits to growth in the Club of Rome where people need to be looking at that because a lot of people are looking at the World Economic Forum, right, because they're more visible. But the World mm-hmm. Economic Forum and their origins intimately tied to the Club of Rome and <laughs> limits of growth. Um yep. if you read uh the article on unlimited hangout, Schwab Family Values by Johnny Bedmore, it goes into detail in that on the uh in, in the end, um, about how the creation of the World Economic Forum uh Their first annual meeting highlighted and was basically all about uh, limits to growth um, and how Club of Rome was involved in in sort of getting uh, the World Economic Forum uh, and Klaus Schwab on his feet, uh, very intimately uh, connected organizations. Um,
1: One of the one of the things that they say, a term that they that the Club of Rome uses, which I found to be remarkable, is something called disease surveillance. And that is, mm-hmm. and so like the idea that they're going to to use diseases as the pretext to uh, surveil people is, is interesting. They also say we are living beyond the carrying capacity of this planet. The pandemic is a manifestation of this fact. So they're 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 fully in this camp of um you know it, humanity is the problem it, it, this whole world would work a lot better if it wasn't for all these stupid people uh, maybe we can figure out a way to save humanity by yeah you know uh, uh fighting this climate change wink wink which is getting rid of a bunch of these people so it's a it's a and of course the club of romans also based in switzerland too so there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of overlap between these these organizations I think that if people were to think of something like the United Nations the you know the the Club of Rome the World Economic Forum all of these it's, it's like a Venn diagram where you can there's intersections. You can be a member of, of, of all of them. You don't it's, you don't have to pick one team to play on. You can play on on multiple teams and their agendas overlap sort of sort of nicely. So uh, anything that uh, the World Economic Forum doesn't cover, the Club of Rome will probably take care of it on the back end.
0: Right. So what you talked about disease surveillance is really important, too, because in the context of, you know, these guys saying they're saving the planet, there's actually a huge uh, increase in funding of R&D by by these types of actors into disease and pandemic surveillance post-COVID, but a lot of it has to do with monitoring the natural world Um a lot of that uh, is going to be or, or rural areas, um, and you know uh, some of them talk about you know sensors, unique identifiers uh, for forests and, and different natural assets, right? This is back in, um, for example, a 2018 white paper from the World Economic Forum talking about the revolution, uh, the on being on the threshold of the revolution and digital identity, um, talks expressly about like things like forests having their own uh natural uh, their own digital um identifiers uh so you know th- this sort of goes along with the context of what I wrote about recently natural asset corporations which is essentially mm-hmm. something between um a group that's basically a front from the Rockefeller Foundation called the Intrinsic Exchange Group um, and the New York Stock Exchange um about creating uh basically financializing natural assets uh, forests uh uh ecological processes things that have never been part of markets before creating a whole new asset class that they can essentially charge people for um you know charge charge people for things that previously like they-, they couldn't you know like the air you breathe um or right. being charged um a tax on food for uh the ecological process that made uh growing food in in the soil in this area possible <laughs> and things it's- like that.
1: Mm-hmm. It's insane. They they the Club of Rome has a a term for this. They they call it account for natural capital and value nature on their balance sheets. I mean, is there anything that just scream? I mean, that to me just screams transhumanism, where you you take something as beautiful as nature and you try and stuff it into an Excel spreadsheet as best you can and put some sort of and quantify that somehow. It's really disgusting. But I, I don't think that we should be too surprised because this is coming to us from the same group that that wants genetically modified food, which they couldn't patent in, in the natural form. So they make it just one deviation away from being natural. And so now it's technically unnatural and they can patent that. I mean, look, a, I think a fair but insane topic of conversation uh, to, to have would be that, you know, is that mentality of tweaking something natural and making it just a little bit unnatural in order to own the rights, in order to own the patents on it, can we not have that discussion about what's happening with people when they're injecting these mRNA vaccines into their body? Are they not becoming just one notch less human? Maybe over time, this incrementally builds up to the fact that you now classify these people as technically not human. And if they're not human anymore, well, then maybe what are they and how do we how do we classify them? And if we can classify them in something other than human, can they be owned? And so now we get into this weird crisis where you start thinking about that if they can change people just enough, they can then technically own them in some way, shape or form, maybe even trade them uh, on stock markets. And and listen, of course, that sounds insane. But it's no more insane if you understand that they're trying to do that with nature already. So it, it seems like a reasonable leap.
0: Well, the natural asset corporation is about them taking ownership of nature, essentially, and uh, applying the you'll own nothing and be happy thing uh, to that. And what you also touched on with the patents, um that is happening though with the the human genome and the human genome project and every time there's a a particular uh gene discovered by any one of these companies in this uh burgeoning field of biotech and gene editing medicine and all that stuff they patent it um so you know th- th- there's a a patent uh, an effort to patent pretty much every uh gene in every life form it's not just humans either it's also going on um for animals. And I think ultimately, um, what you're going to have, um, if this continues unimpeded and of course the, the normalization of, of mRNA vaccines is ushering this in, but what you're eventually going to have, um, is, is a situation where they can claim ownership over, uh, any life form essentially. And if that involves introducing things into the human body that, uh, sort of I guess you could say implants a patented gene in a particular person and they can claim ownership over that person's genetic material what implications does that have I mean you know some people may say that sounds really crazy but that, that that is I mean there there have been people that have been warning about this patent issue since the human genome project came to its conclusion if you look at the people that were behind that project people like Craig Venter or uh, Epstein-funded Eric Lander, who's now Biden's top science advisor. And you look at what they've been doing since the Human Genome Project and what it has to do with patenting life um, and and patenting specific genes that are present in millions and millions and millions, potentially all people, things like that. It's very, it's just insanely alarming. And I think, um, you know, part of what's gone on in the past year and a half with COVID uh the effort to normalize mrna uh vaccines and therapies and products is really to open the door on this whole uh era of gene editing people sort of like there was that time when the floodgates opened on oh now we can genetically modify crops and plants and all of this stuff there's going to be uh, an effort not too far in the future uh, to sort of normalize that with people because we have all of these um, health startups that have been waiting in the wings for several years uh, that use things like CRISPR for example uh, to edit the human genome even though more and more studies come out um, every year showing that CRISPR actually causes a, a lot of Gene damage or, or genotoxic, right? But they're being still very heavily promoted by the same, um, I guess you could say network of, of individuals. Um, and, you know, I think the, the mRNA vaccines normalizing that in the public consciousness is a major step towards that because before COVID, they kept saying that public distrust of these technologies was like one of their main barriers, uh, to getting these products to market and, and getting them widely used by people. And I think sort of the Trojan horse inherent in that is sort of what what you touched on, uh, the patenting of genes and of life itself. And it's all very much related to this um, effort to financialize human nature. There's also, you know, talking about financializing natural capital, there's also major efforts to do that for human capital or social capital. Um, And some of these organizations that have popped up to sort of um, offer the protocols for how to quantify All of these things, like the Capitals Coalition, you know, they have a human uh, capital protocol, a social capital protocol and a natural capital protocol. And they're intimately um, connected to um, these, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum, uh, the efforts to produce uh, natural asset corporations and and all of this stuff. And a lot of the same players are also involved um, at at COP26. What do you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and and they're also involved in this Bloomberg New Economy Forum that's happening in Singapore. You when you you need to get yourself to Singapore if you can between the 16th and 19th of November because I I can't imagine you missing the uh, presentation on pandemic prepar- preparedness that's that will be given by Bill Gates. And and after that one, I think you should probably see if you can sneak over to the. The topic, uh, the presentation, The Emerging World Order, uh, that'll be presented by Tony Blair. I'm sure that's going to be fascinating. We're going to figure out exactly how to um, restore trust. Oh, that's a different one. Combating truth decay, restoring trust. They're going to have-
0: It sounds truth like
1: tooth to tooth decay. I can't uh-huh. Believe it's, these people. its combating tooth decay. <laughs> better floss. Better floss. Oh my goodness! But the advisory board—don't don't worry. The advisory board is filled with some of the best people in the world. They're going to get to the bottom of this. Bill Gates, <laughs> Condoleezza Rice, Lawrence Summers, Margaret Chan, who is the former Director General of the World Health Organization, and Neil Shen, who's at Sequoia Capital. He's one of the guys that makes sure that the money finds all of these co- new corporations that are out there taking on, uh, you know, taking on this challenge of trying to identify and and account for every, every living thing on this planet. I mean, th- the mentality that it requires to even ponder this concept of trying to we've joked about these people are trying to run the world and everything like this they are trying to classify and categorize everything in the world that's for sure not like they're the audubon society you know like they're trying to like hey let's figure out if there's a new a new type of bird out there no they're looking to do that so that they can own that bird and then lease that bird out to you because you'll own nothing and and be happy, uh, because this is part of the their their plan for society. So it's, you know, part of me feels like these these people are just having fantasies about what they want to do. That this all sounds too scientific and too, uh, you know, unbelievable. But then I I I pull back from that rather quickly. Because I, I have come to understand just exactly how dangerous these people are and that if it was, you know, you and your stoner friends talking about taking over the world, that's one thing. But when these people get together, they actually have the ability to do it. And, and when, when they talk about this transhumanist agenda and the blending of man with machine, the man that they're talking about blending is you. And this should be alarming to everyone. And I think that if people have been slow to figure out COVID, um, not your audience, not my audience, we, you know, we understand where this is going, but there's a lot of people out there that have been kind of slow to pick up COVID. Um, I don't know that I can expect them to be any quicker about picking up this, this, um, this new agenda that's using the environment as cover uh, as a shield to deflect criticism from what they're really doing which is trying to own the world under the guise of saving the world it's a it's an ambitious project but they've got the right psychopaths in place to try and make a run at this but I'll tell you this is this is going to be one of those those, there there's a lot of topics out there there's a lot of things that we could get it you know into and, and 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 talk about, but this is going to be one of those sneaky ones that comes out of nowhere and is all of a sudden one of the most important things that we face if they're if we allow them or we are asleep at the wheel and these people are able to remake society uh they will create, they will take it back to the kings and serfs. They think of themselves as the kings anyway. They, they, they act as if, so we shouldn't be surprised if they, if their policies reflect that as well. So this is a dangerous time for us. And I, and I don't want to be like hyperbolic about this and I don't, and I'm not, and I don't want to be like, you know, trying to scare people. I think, but I think that there's a, a, a certain amount of, fear that people need to have like a healthy amount of fear that people need to have to realize that these people are very dangerous and that the plans that they're coming up with are going to impact us. They're going to impact our kids, our kids, kids. And if they do it the right way, meaning, you know, the way that works best for them, uh, we're going to be locked out of society and it's going to be Elysium. You know, it's going to be a two tiers of society where we're eating the crickets and they're eating the real food. And and we, we yeah. simply, cannot allow that to happen because where we are standing right now, we still have the ability to prevent that. But we're going to get to a point in the not too distant future where uh, our time is come and go- gone to to make these changes. So we need to really be paying attention right now.
0: Right. So you brought up transhumanism. Let's keep in mind the same people talking about climate change. We're going to save the planet with green finance and all of this stuff are the same people also pushing for the fourth industrial revolution in the metaverse. And uh, having AI take all the jobs and putting robots and sensors everywhere, making smart cities and making all of this technology that depends on super exploitative mining practices. Uh, they've already said there's this um, mining uh, conglomerate that's backed by people like Bloomberg and, and Jeff Beza and a bunch of other, I think even Mark Zuckerberg um, of right. Facebook is on there. I'm going to be talking with uh, Corey Morningstar about this next week. Um they have essentially announced all of the world's lithium, nickel, and like a other long list of nickels is required for this transition. So basically they're going to lock down all those resources. I think that's one of the other major reasons I read about this earlier in the year, why um, Magufuli uh, in in Tanzania uh, was, was axed. Uh, it wasn't just mm-hmm. because of his COVID stance. It's because he was nationalizing the mines, which includes the, the largest nickel deposit. Um, in oh the yeah. World. yeah, he's got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he was uh, not, you know, in line with these people. So, no. um, yeah, definitely had to go. Um, he also took it away from uh, Glencore, <laughs> which uh, you don't do. That's the mining, uh, you know, company that was created by Mark Rich, the Mossad asset, yeah. and is now uh, I, I, I'm, I think he's still in charge. Nat Rothschild. Uh, so cool. you know, that's not a company you fuck with like that. Um, no (laughs) no so um you know this is something that's going to be hugely exploitative and in in the we're seeing you know at the same time they're pushing for uh these changes to society for climate change and all of the stuff we have to save the planet blah 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 we're having the launch of the metaverse take place at the same time from big tech right with facebook now we have microsoft making their big announced pivot into the metaverse space the metaverse will be for you the metaverse is is how they're going to do neo-feudalism, I think now, um, that the little people are going to be stuck in the metaverse. And that's how you're going to uh, not use carbon, right? Uh, because right. you won't be moving. You'll be living your life um, in a virtual uh, reality, essentially. But these people uh, will have the freedom to uh, romp and roam wherever they choose and enjoy nature. They don't have to be in the metaverse because we're also all of this is going on, um, you know, like ID 2020 promoting the idea now of the core of their digital ID system that they're promoting. Freedom as a service, freedom isn't a right anymore. They call it F-A-A-S. <laughs> they literally abbreviate it. Freedom as a service is at the core of the system. You can have the freedom if you can afford it, right? So who are the people in this system of financializing nature, uh natural capital, human capital, social capital that are going to have the freedom? Uh in the money, the the points, whatever, however this new system works, right? Uh to, to enjoy those types of freedoms to not have to uh be strapped down and stuck in the metaverse all day. Um the people that own that stuff, right? <laughs> the yeah. people that own the natural asset uh corporations and the natural assets and the human assets and the social assets and all of this stuff uh that they're that they're moving with. So we have to keep in mind too, you know, this own nothing and be happy, uh, thing. A lot of, I mean, a lot of that's gotten around. It's not just about them owning what they can own today. It's about them monetizing and then taking ownership of literally everything. Uh, most of which is not currently monetized today. And if you go to the natural, the intrinsic exchange group behind natural asset corporations, this Rockefeller foundation thing, I mean, they, they, the opportunity, Per them is just the huge expansion of things they can buy and take ownership of by opening up this new asset class for them. Uh, it's totally insane. And it's obviously predatory. And, um, Going back to COP26, because I, I, I do want to <laughs> keep some of the focus um, of, of what we're talking about today on that to an extent, because I think it's being yep. uh, really overlooked. The important parts of it, anyway, are being overlooked in, in general. Um, one thing that has come out of, of this, or really it started a little bit before, but this is its big um, PR moment, I guess you could say, at COP26 is something called the Glasgow uh, Financial Alliance for Net Zero. Uh, mm-hmm. which is being uh, led by Mark Carney, former head of the Bank of England, uh, former head of the Bank of Canada. Uh, of course, he's also the U.N. envoy for green finance. <laughs> what a convenient God. transition for him. Uh, and they, you know, got some uh, positive press the other day because at, the, at COP26, they announced – um over 130 trillion dollars of private capital is now committed to transforming the economy for net zero right but if you look at who's behind right. this financial alliance it's it's Mark Carney and it's it's Mike Bloomberg um there's four people on the leadership board the co-chair is Mark Carney the other co-chair is Mike Bloomberg the vice chair is uh, one of Bloomberg's longtime underlings um And the other one is the UK government selected climate action champion is his
1: official title, which just sounds unavailable. I mean, (laughs) my God, what a lineup there. That's I mean, Kissinger wasn't on that panel. This is no. Well,
0: he's on what you mentioned earlier. The Bloomberg Bloomberg is all over this stuff. Right. So he's on this. Bloomberg is the co-chair for this financial alliance for net zero. But at his new economy Forum that's mike bloomberg that's henry kissinger and that's henry paulson, paulson. or hank paulson yeah. goldman Sachs yeah. former head of the nature conservancy because he's very much like to rebrand as a conservationist after threatening congress with martial law if they did not bail out the wall street banks in 2008 when he was yep. secretary of the treasury under bush you guys remember that um, mm-hmm. Yeah, these are the people creating the new economy. They're going to do it for your benefit and for the planet's benefit, guys. I mean, if you really believe that these people are doing that, you might as well just uh, give them your brain in a bag at this point. Like, I just, uh,
1: it's exhausting. Well, it, it is exhausting. This At this COP26 um, summit, they talked about the EU unveils basically cap and trade. They said that they must obtain a permit to emit carbon. It's 60 euros or $68 per metric ton of emission. They want to roll this out everywhere by 2025. And they are trying to cut emissions. They say that this will help to cut emissions by 55% by 2030. Of course, I'm sure they're just making those numbers up. They, they plan on doing they're, – they're, they're, they want to put tariffs on steel and chemicals and cement from companies or countries where emissions are higher – so they want to punish those those countries of course, you know, like I said, China didn't show up to this. Russia says we're not interested in participating. They know what's going on. They're they're not they're not interested in playing this game. Um but that's a really bad time to add tariffs because they ultimately they'll get passed down to the consumers and you know, maybe don't do that when you're in the middle of hyperinflating the world's reserve currency and you've got massive supply chain issues, but but, you know, I would suggest that they're they're doing all of this, that that, that these these supply chain issues, the things that are falling apart uh, is all part of this. Strategy of tension, you know, to to just keep everybody use that that old school Operation Gladio concept of just keeping everybody a bit destabilized and, and 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 unable to to really get their feet underneath them. Um, and what they're where they're trying to take this with uh with cap and trade, it really shouldn't surprise anybody when, when they when they realize that like what was. You know, what was what was going on with Enron back in the day? Well, they were doing about
0: to bring up Enron. Good for you. They were
1: doing this (laughs) cap and trade, carbon trading sort of thing. Okay, and who and who went to prison on that? Well, who was supposed to go to prison but allegedly died? Ken Lay, right? (laughs) And who's Ken Lay's best friend in the world who taught him this carbon tax hustle or who who he taught the carbon tax hustle to? Al Gore. Al Gore and Ken Lay are buddies, right? So so that this whole concept of quantify of saying all right we're going to set this uh allowable limit of carbon output and then we're going to tax anything above that uh and then we're going to take that money and we're going to use it to I don't know well we'll just pretend like we're going to fix things with it but we're really not going to fix it this this takes you into what the club of rome was talking about when they're talking about the the common enemy of humanity is man and that the, and that this is how they want to use this um the common adversary to realize the one world government. So they're 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 moving this down the down the the line these cap and trade deals, this carbon taxes, they're going to you know, they're going to set this what if you think about it, it's a genius scam. It's like every other scam that the governments come up with. They take away something from you just because they decide they're going to take it. they say it's dangerous and they got to have to take it away from you. And then they license it back to you for money, whether that's like a hunting license or a marriage license or a fishing license or some freedom that you had, the state takes it and they say, well, you can have it, but you have to pay us and, and you know, a licensing fee for it every time. So, so this cap and trade is just think of that as like a carbon scam, creating a new, a brand new marketplace, which they love rigging marketplaces. And when you've got Hank Paulson involved in it, you know that that marketplace will be rigged as the best way that you can possibly rig a marketplace, right? Because those guys know how to do it. So you've got this imaginary, you've got this new asset class, this carbon offsets that you can you can give waivers to companies or countries that you that you need to kind of continue doing their thing. Hey, Walmart, you 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 off, you know, you you create a lot of of. Uh, of excess carbon. But you know what? Since you've got one of your people on this, this council will give you an exemption. ExxonMobil gets an exemption. You know, all the all the real people that are contributing to this pollution, they're going to get waivers. But the rest of us will be it'll start with countries and then it'll move to corporations and then eventually it'll move to people. And you have exceeded your carbon output for this for this month. And you just can't do anymore. And, and, And that's not an insane pipe dream. We've started to see that. And I think you even mentioned it with some of these these new, um, what's it's a financial instrument. I think it's a credit card that is monitoring the things that you buy based on their ESG score or the companies that are selling the things that you buy and assigning a value, a carbon value to the widgets that you buy using your credit card and if you, I think initially what their plan is, is that if you buy the right things, you get more reward points, yeah. but eventually mm-hmm. it'll get to the point where if you buy try to buy the wrong things, you just won't even be allowed to buy them. So we're, we're starting to see everything get a carbon sort of, everything's going to start to have this carbon score slant to it where they can then quantify your purchases and then make a determination whether you, as a consumer, are being a. I mean, we need you to be a consumer. That's essential. But we need you to buy the right things, and by the right things, I mean they've got to come from the companies that will give you the prop, you know, the right score for it. So it'll be the Amazon's. It'll be the company store, right? Amazon's, Walmart, whoever has decided that uh, you know that you you know is part of this agenda. You can you can only shop at their, Maybe even have a maybe even the central bank digital currency will be pre-programmed so that you can only use it on goods and services that fit this carbon score that are below the threshold. So there's going to be ways that they're going to manipulate us into accepting this. But the first part and the most important part is that they have got to get everybody terrified of the fact that we are producing too much Carbon dioxide. And if they can get people accepting that that is going to kill the planet and we're all going to die in 12 years, then they can uh, modify your behavior in a way that will um, make you do the things that they want you to do. So, so this is, so the carbon component of this is, is going to wind up playing a much bigger role in our lives moving forward, unfortunately.
0: Well, some of what you laid out is already happening. I forget the name of the company, but the world economic forum was recently promoting a credit card company that calculates, you know, basically how much carbon you're spending based on your purchases made with that card um, and I mean, how long until that's integrated into this infrastructure they're currently setting up at places like COP26? Um, and, and obviously, you know, the, <laughs> these people like Mark Carney, these central banker guys are also involved in the CBDC, uh, central bank digital currency yeah. effort. Like you say, uh, is programmable, uh, for all of that stuff. It has all of that capability. Um, and it looks like so- several of those are going to start launching in countries around the world starting, uh, around next year. Um, very alarming stuff. Um, really quick though, I do want to go back to this um Carney Bloomberg chaired Financial Alliance for Net Zero because I do sort of want to dispel this this uh notion uh that's being uh sort of circulated by the press that COP26 um is is useless and doesn't matter because China and Russia aren't there. Okay, but these guys are actually setting up some um, ways to do major damage right now. And I don't think it's gotten enough uh, coverage, some of the stuff that they've said that really got my attention. uh, And it's coming directly from this uh, financial alliance for net zero group. So basically, for COP26, Mark Carney, as part of this alliance, is publishing this new plan. He says it's a plan on how to scale private capital flows to emerging and developing economies one of the main tenets of that is developing country platforms to connect private capital committed to net zero now at $130 trillion, right, with country plot projects and scaling this with blended finance through MDBs, MDBs being multilateral development banks, like the World Bank, <laughs> the you know, all of Great. these like debt slavery banks. And the third point is developing high-integrity, credible global carbon markets. So basically, this is um, using g- groups like the World Bank and the IMF. The de- de- you have to, you know, debt slavery forcing you to adopt policies that these banks uh, demand, uh, forcing the imposition of carbon markets on various countries. Um, and what's crazy, <laughs> if it could get any crazier, um, I didn't really mention some of the other members of this alliance. I mentioned just the leadership, but of course, you have... Um, uh, the head of uh, Banco Santander, which is like the second biggest or biggest bank in Spain, uh, Banco Lombia, the main bank of Colombia, Citibank, Bank of America, HSBC, uh, chair of the investment committee of the David Rockefeller Fund, and chief oh executive God. officer of the London Stock Exchange Group. These are bankers here that <laughs> do not give a flying fuck about the planet. Okay. And to nope. top it all off, we have Larry Fink. Of BlackRock here on this alliance. Hooray. What did Larry Fink say at COP26 on November 2nd? He said, um, if we're going to get serious about climate change in the emerging world, we're going to have to really focus on the reimagination of the World Bank and the IMF. He says, quote, they are the senior lender and not enough private capitals coming into the emerging world today because of the risk associated with the political risk, if we are serious about elevating investment capital in the emerging world, I'm urging the owners of these institutions, the equity owners, to focus on how we reimagine these institutions and rethink their charter. They are going to Take what are, what is already a weaponized financial institution or institutions and re-weaponize them with this in mind, targeting expressly um, the emerging world specifically. It's probably going to be because of um, the people on this uh, board, a, a, a big focus on Latin America, uh, probably also Africa, um, which is also coincidentally where they want to have a lot of their uh, fourth industrial revolution workforce uh, be um it's uh it's a mess so china and russia don't need to go for these guys to do real damage is i think the point um <laughs> that i that yeah. i wanted to to make there um but what's insane is that they've essentially announced that they're going to be um wep- reweaponizing uh, these financial institutions to impose these policies um on countries and obviously because of what's happened with coronavirus numerous countries not that just the us right have inflation issues uh, coming down the pike or that mm-hmm. are already showing themselves. And then you have countries perpetually, um, in a tussle, I guess you could say, uh, that never ends with these, with these banks like uh, Argentina and the IMF, for example. Um, and now they're going to, you know, have a gun to their head to implement all of these, uh, policies in, in a major way. Um, uh it looks like this is how they're going to start doing it at least in emerging economies because they have they're going to need to be bailed out right and yep. um you know the derivatives bubble that's been inflating ever since 2008 and and you know the 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 crisis then everything that they've done since uh and, and created this you know economy built to fail so that they can implement their new economic system right when that collapse happens they're going to use all of these uh, tools that they're developing at their disposal uh to try and force uh this this fascism on, on the world. It's uh it's it's scary stuff, but we, we need to be talking about this like, you know, while it's happening and not wait until we're blindsided with it months down the line. Um we have to know what they're planning in advance and they're telling us. I mean, uh they're being very straightforward about what their plans are.
1: Yeah, and this takes me back to one of the books that really woke me up to this entire Scam. Back in 2007, uh, I was going on vacation. My friend gave me the book by John Perkins, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. I read that book and it changed my life. It he outlined the scam of the IMF and the World Bank and how they would approach countries like Ecuador and they would say, "You've got, you know, you you've got this great topography here. You you've got this perfect setup for a hydroelectric power plant. We build this dam. It'll take." you know, this, this much money, but don't worry, we've got the loan set up for you uh, through the IMF and World Bank, it'll generate all this electricity, it'll generate all this revenue. Yeah, we'll put a couple million bucks in your bank account, you know, president of Ecuador, whatever, we'll we'll make it work. And then they sign on to this deal and the money comes and the the hydroelectric power plant gets built, but it doesn't generate the revenue that they said it was going to generate because it was never meant to. It was always a trap and they fall behind on their payments. And then like any good loan shark, the IMF and World Bank and John Perkins, who worked for a company called Maine, which is like the equivalent of uh, Halliburton, a multinational engineering firm, he would say, you know, listen, you owe my guys a lot of money and uh, and they want to get paid. But uh, maybe we can work something out, right? Maybe we can maybe you can vote our way in a U.N. resolution or you can um you know, you privatize your lumber industry and let my buddies buy it or or some deal that they some shitty deal that they that this country doesn't want. They now have no choice because they've borrowed money from the wrong people, fallen into debt. And now it's come due. And I i when so when Larry Fink or any of these guys, or Larry Summers or whoever is talking about getting the IMF and World Bank involved in a, having a more prominent role in the in the 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 South American continent and Africa, I just keep seeing that Admiral Akbar meme, like, it's a trap. You know, (laughs) I just like, guys, (laughs) it's a trap. Don't do it. Don't fall into this because when Perkins was writing about it, it was UN resolutions and US military bases that you had to build. This time around, it will be imposing COVID-like restrictions. It will be allowing these social credit systems to be implemented. It will be about these carbon uh, tracking systems. All of this stuff will be brought in as a result of definitely if they fall behind on their payments, but probably even conditional just in getting the money in the first place at this point, especially if it's a country that's experiencing massive hyperinflation and my my guess would be that before they target a particular country to approach them about you know signing on to this deal they'll manipulate the country's currency for for a couple months or maybe even a couple years in advance to get them all softened up and 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 ready to accept some sort of quote bailout from the IMF and World Bank which will be coming with most definitely very large strings attached to it and so they'll find a way to uh, to get these countries to participate, because this is a this is a, a strategy that the IMF and World Bank have been using for a very long time. It works extremely well. And if and and if I know it's happening and I'm just some dummy that writes books and does podcasts, I got to believe that the heads of these African nations and these South American nations know about this as well. But. But maybe it's just a matter of greed. Maybe it's an offshore bank account in the Cayman Islands that's got, you know, $75 million in it with your and here's the number to it. If you if you play ball with this, I mean, stranger things have happened. We heard about the guy, the president of Belarus, saying that the IMF and World Bank offered him nine hundred and forty million dollars to shut his country down and impose mask uh, restrictions and, and lockdowns. It's like, well. I wasn't surprised to hear that. I'm sure you weren't surprised to hear that, nope. but I think a lot of people out there might have been if they even heard it in the first place. So the the banking establishment, the banking component of this whole thing, though on the surface may appear to most people as really boring, is going to become the most dangerous aspect of all of this because these bankers. Like you said, they don't need Russia and China to get in there and do a bunch of damage. They've done plenty of damage on their own. And uh, if, as long as they've got the backing of these world uh, uh supranational institutions like the IMF and World Bank, uh, they've got all the money in the world on their side.
0: Yeah, one thing I, uh, well, they don't just have money. Uh, they also have lots of years of pre-planning uh, for this. Um and some of what, you know, uh, we've already touched on today, like how very likely, uh, the, the spiking food prices, uh, a hunger crisis, supply chain issues, um, will be used to sort of impose this on the people. Uh, all of this that we are, uh, currently living in, uh, the script we appear to be on, um, has its own event 201, <laughs> uh, like COVID did. And of course, there's other things that preceded COVID as well that were uh, eerily similar the year before, like the Crimson Contagion simulation of the U.S. government about a coronavirus pandemic uh, coming out of China and spreading through the air and an air travel from the guy who uh, (laughs) uh, Dark Winter is named for essentially from 2001. You know, all of these weird coincidences. Well, we have another weird coincidence here Um, uh, in terms of simulations Um, And this took place in 2015. It was called the Food Chain Reaction Game, uh, brought to you by the Center for American Progress, uh, one of the foremost uh, Washington think tanks uh, that, you know, uh, very much at the center of the Clinton power nexus. Uh, I guess you could say, you know, John Podesta and Neera Tanden, those people uh, run that Mm -hmm. institution, along with the World Wildlife Fund, which... If you think the World Wildlife Fund is just the cute little panda and they love the planet, please go look at, like, their board of directors and business partners. Um, yeah. Their alliances with groups like the World Economic Forum and their uh, partnership with the uh, very groups developing the protocols to financialize nature. Um, you will see that the World Wildlife Fund is definitely something very different. Um, and they partnered, uh, those two groups partnered with Cargill and Whoa. Mars, Inc., You know, like, (laughs) which makes, like, junk food, right? Uh, Cargill being uh, one of the biggest and most predatory companies in big agriculture around, basically. uh, These guys all teamed up for something called the Food Chain Reaction Simulation. Um, And it's definitely worth people's attention because of what came out of here. uh, Because it was talking about climate, hunger, civil unrest, spiking food prices, Um, are all essentially used during this exercise, which took place in 2015, but was gaming out the decade 2020 to 2030. Um, It concludes um, with the U.S., the EU, India, and China coming together to institute a global carbon tax and cap uh, carbon emissions in 2030. And then the, the Cargill guy that attended then their corporate vice president, um, he went on to say, we've learned that a carbon tax is a possibility in the years ahead. But, but before we can consider moving ahead with a measure like that, we must study it and understand it much better. Um, and so, you know, these guys have been looking at this stuff for a long time. They also talk about uh, a meat tax um, and all these different uh taxes, essentially, Um, you know, this is all about money. I just, I I really wish people would understand the common denominator here with all of these different exercises has not uh, has very little to do with like, actual sustainability and environmentalism and is all about money and money flows and where that goes and who controls the money and and who, you know, is making the money. I mean, it all boils down to finance to a significant degree. And that's why you see so many of these these bankers involved in, in setting these policies and stuff, um, because, you know,
1: you had me at John Podesta. You know what I mean? <laughs> when John Podesta shows up at this at events like this and I and I watched part of his speech, it was difficult to get through. Um, that's an automatic disqualification. I mean, I think people people should understand that when we see these of uh, these simulations, these events, these role-playing exercises that when they get together, this is not um you know that and John Podesta is running it or is involved in any way. That should just be a, a screaming red flag that says these people aren't trying to figure out how to um you deal with a, a crisis that comes their way. They're trying to figure out how to make a crisis come their way. The reason why they they're studying this is they're they're trying to figure out how to how to gamify it, how to how to rig it. Yeah, we're yeah yes. we're studying the idea of a carbon tax may happen in the future. We need to study it a little more. That means we need to figure out how to rig it a little bit more. And that of course is is exactly what you you would do with marketplaces like this, when you let the banks get involved. Now, the banks have all been found guilty of rigging the current marketplaces that Libor, Forex, Comex, they've all been found guilty in courts of law for rigging this. The same banks that will be in charge of these carbon markets. So- you know, excuse me if I have questions about maybe the, the, the legitimacy of the, I mean, like the Adam Smith invisible hand of marketplace. I mean, these are the guys that use that give you the invisible middle finger. I mean, this, this is what they do. They rig marketplaces. So now they've got a brand new casino game, carbon offset credits and whatever, and the the like uh, to go along with the Um, tagging of nature that they definitely tend to sell. And if you thought uh, mortgage-backed securities were bad, wait till you see what these maniacs uh, dream up with, with, uh, you know, forest-backed securities or something like that. Oh, we've had a forest fire. Your investment went to zero. Like, what? (laughs) You know, I mean, I can just see the scams on top of scams that these guys are going to come up with all under the guise of, saving you saving the planet and and what about be- i mean the arrogance ego narcissism mental illness that's all wrapped up in this plan to become the saviors of the planet while absolutely destroying it in the process is just a it's just a, a like a masterclass in psychopathy it is so Fascinating to watch these these people work. Uh dangerous, obvious, cr- crazy lunatics that should all be institutionalized immediately, of course, but but fascinating to watch them to watch the sort of arrogance of Prince Charles getting up in front of a microphone and telling everybody how he's going to fix humanity is just preposterous and laughable and 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 scary all at the same time. And so it's. Yeah it's really an interesting time to be watching this stuff and i think that one of the things that you've been really great at doing is you've been you've been great at making this what's technical and 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 difficult to understand you're able to explain it in a way that makes it easy for uh for for everybody to kind of understand parts of it and they can oh, okay i get this now it's kind of like this or it's kind of like that yeah i get this and 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 it's t- it's tempting to be dismissive of this and think well it's going to happen in a couple years i got bigger things to worry about now but that is kind of the the way that we got ourselves in this situation is that we've we've sort of outsourced this care to other people. Well, I'll let Whitney Webb care about this. I I got other things to do. I'll let her write about this. <laughs> well, really I got we all need to be paying attention to this. Thank and you. even if you're not a writer, <laughs> you know, yeah, even even if you're just like somebody that's a casual consumer of this sort of uh information in the form of podcasts and things like that. Like now sorry to to inform you but you now have a role in this as well like it's kind of your duty and obligation to get to understand some of these components of it because it's going to affect all of us and the more education and understanding we have of it early the better chance we have of opposing it in a real way because if there's one thing that we've learned is that these these people will steamroll you if you don't if you don't get together in a coordinated way and try and stop them, uh, they're not going to stop themselves. And the plan that they have for humanity is is very dystopian and and dark. And um, and it's it's certainly not the type of world that that we want to live in.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the, cra- the, the other thing that people need to keep in mind, too, uh, is is that like these billionaires and bankers are responsible for creating the current actual crises that exist. Um, and we're just allowing them to,
1: to oh, oh, man, to keep oh, doing no, it. Oh, no, it was a bat. It, it, was a, it was a bat in a wet market that got loose. That's what, that's what, it's just bad luck. We just get bad I luck. Know. If only, if only, if only Andrew Cuomo was there to save us from this bad luck that we have. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, man. Uh, it's, it's a litmus test, too. You know, I wonder it's, what it's, he'll it's, do it's,
0: with his Emmy now.
1: <laughs> oh, well, uh, the, I think they're trying to take it back from him because you know the Emmys have standards, right? As they oh. <laughs> virtue signaling all over the place. I mean, oh, give me a that's break. Funny.
0: Oh it's man, just
1: a, it's an upside down world that we're living in. But it's uh, but it's it, it's a, it's a fascinating time to be observing it.
0: Uh, very, very true. Um, so one thing I do want to uh, sort of uh, point out before we wrap up uh, also is uh, what I've mentioned a couple times about them, um, you know, using the, uh, a hunger crisis uh, to mm-hmm. essentially, uh, you know, drive through a lot of these um, agendas and stuff. Uh, one of the other things that's come out this week at COP26 is a big commitment from Bill Gates um to uh do climate related funding um of new agricultural uh research <laughs> putting a bunch of money Um, into a particular group that is called uh i'm not sure exactly what it stands for but their acronym is CGIAR. um and he basically um you know basically bill gates has been going around uh making deals with boris johnson of the uk making deals most recently with with naftali bennett prime minister of israel uh before that uh, it was the head of the eu um Basically, uh, going around making public-private partnerships uh, with all of these um, individuals, I guess you could say. So he's done a couple things. Uh, one of the things he's done is is the one I mentioned about a uh, climate-smart agricultural research. Yeah. The CGIAR uh, group. But um, let's keep in mind, um, what did Bill Gates do before COVID? What was his big evangelist uh, stance? The Green Revolution. Uh remember that Charlie?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh
0: and how it was all about GMO seeds for India? And bringing uh, it was going to increase yields and make things so much better um, in places like India and the global south and how instead we have a, a huge spike in Indian farmer suicides. They're trapped in debt slavery. Yeah, their yields aren't any better. Um, so, yeah, this is the guy that we're trusting with agriculture. Now we're trusting him with agriculture again, uh, I guess, uh, since the whole covid thing. He was so great at that. Right. Um, yeah. But this particular group he's funding has the multilateral development banks, talked about earlier, um, all Mm -hmm. on board governments of pretty much, pretty much the whole world um, are there. Um, uh, But in addition to them, you have uh, Syngenta, Kellogg, um, the Ford Foundation, of course, the Gates Foundation, um, and the OPEC Fund for (laughs) International Development. So you know, that'll have a lot to do with uh, petrochemicals and not exactly climate smart um, agricultural research. Mm-hmm. Um, and, totally, And, and I'd also
1: like to remind the humanity that Bill Gates uh, financed the Spalsvart Seed Vault in Norway with his partners, the Rockefeller Foundation, mm-hmm. Syngenta. Uh, so um, and and that is a seed vault that is located in the Arctic Circle about eleven hundred Kilometers south of the North Pole, built up uh, 400 feet up a cliff, and 300 feet inside that mountain is where all of the actual real seeds have been stored. You know, far away from the the commoners, so that we can never get to them. But they've taken the step of preserving actual real seeds, natural seeds, millions and millions and millions of them in this in this large seed vault. Um and hidden them away from us while simultaneously financing genetically modified seeds, unleashing that onto the world while also buying up all of the farm as much of the farmland as he can get his hands on. Listen, Bill Gates is a dangerous, dangerous individual. And I know it's been sort of like popular over the last year to kind of bash on Bill Gates or goof on him and everything, but you know, he wears the sweaters and he's kind of dorky and all that stuff. But let's make no mistake about it. Bill Gates is a dangerous individual. He has very big plans for humanity. And it does not involve you guys all coming along for the ride and and hanging out, w- you know, with him and cookouts in the summer at, at, in Washington. It's not happening.
0: Yeah. He he's only grills just, out with Warren Buffett, his best friend. Right.
1: Yeah. Right, right, right. And they also they also finance the plant based foods, which are loaded with, uh, you know, like a uh, impossible Whopper has like 14 million times more phytoestrogen in it than a, a traditional Whopper and only has five percent fewer calories. So it's not health food. It's some other sort of experiment that Bill Gates is running on us as well. So it's it's very It's very uh, important for us to keep an eye on our food supply. It's not a stretch to extrapolate out that these these people that have shown you such, you know, utter contempt for humanity, that they would at some point try to control the food supply. Of course, of course they would. This is a logical progression in their psychopathy. So they're going to try and take those steps. So it's, it's imperative on us to to pay, you know, to pay attention to the when these guys that, you know, are bad guys come out of the blue and start talking about saving humanity. Like at COP26, you have John Kerry coming out and skull skull and bones John Kerry, mind you, coming out and saying that the the US, uh, he he pledged that the US would have uh, achieved sustainable management of its oceans by 2025. Now John Kerry is also a very dangerous human being, but he wants to save the oceans. Can you think of anybody else?
0: Charlie? Anybody
1: else that wants to save the oceans? (laughs) I don't know. Like, Clay Maxwell. I mean, Uh, there's a thing that uh, happens. These mm -hmm. guys that are really bad. Try to do the thing that the Rockefellers did when they were taking bad press. Start the Rockefeller Foundation. Say, start a cover story. Say, oh, you're going to be doing charity work. Oh, you're trafficking children. Say you want to save the. I don't know. What do you like the? let's say, say you say you want to save the oceans. Okay, fine. I'm going to save the oceans. So you start Terra Mar and you do this whole thing to save the oceans. It's a cover story. And when guys like John Kerry talk about saving the oceans, the, 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 really what you should just hear is, I want to control the oceans. When Bill Gates says, I want to save the food supply, he wants to control the food supply. These people don't get involved. These are not altruistic people. John Kerry doesn't give a fuck about you. He wants you dead. If if it was up to John Kerry, there'd just be far fewer people on this planet. But that guy's in charge of saving the oceans? Like, it's It's insane. So where we have to get to is 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 sort of an understanding that the the people that are going to be presented to us through the mainstream media which is obviously controlled um as the as the liberators that the 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 people that are leading the way in this uh fight against global warming or this fight against uh food insecurity or whatever These leaders are going to be profiting from this, and in fact, if you dig deep enough, you will find that they are the worst people to be leading any of this stuff. So it's it's kind of imperative. Like it's funny to joke about this stuff now, but it's not going to be real. It's not going to be funny when John Kerry actually is in charge of the oceans. You know, like right now he just sounds delusional, but when he's in charge of the oceans, you know it's going to be bad. So so um, they're telling you know the good news is that it takes a while for these things to kind of play out. So we can examine them now and see them coming, but we have to do something about it or else it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so like what you have with Gates, right? His past evangelism with big agriculture was Monsanto's business model, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. So what do you think his business model is going to be this time with his philanthropic endeavors With agriculture now based as, uh, you know, uh, being sold as being climate smart, as opposed to previously it was, oh, we're going to reduce world hunger and reduce poverty. Uh, The opposite of that happened. But they're going, you know, it's increasingly clear. And as that food chain reaction game, I think that makes it even uh, even clearer. There's going to be some sort of hunger crisis. They're already talking about it. Who helped make that hunger crisis possible? Shit like the Green Revolution that, that Bill Gates promoted. This is... Uh, a manufactured scam to take control of a major system. And of course, Kissinger, who we mentioned is sort of involved in some of these forums and, and entities, you know, you control the food, you control the people. Okay. Yes. Um, I have a feeling Bill Gates is aware of that. uh, And that may explain his interest in farmland because not only can he, you know, control the food supply by having all this uh, farmland stuff he can implement these quote unquote climate smart green energy solutions in in the u s domestically on a on a massive scale, but through natural asset corporations he can also charge people even more because he owns the farmland and thus, if he makes natural asset corporations also on top of the farmland he already owns you know and he can uh monetize uh the the uh, new assets quote-unquote of that farmland it's soil uh for example i mean the guy can make a ton of money and just be at the very top of the pecking order of um you know this neo-feudal society they're trying to create it's totally insane um meanwhile people believe it people believe that he's he's here to help okay just give him a yeah. brain in a bag
1: people um these people don't want to help us. They they they've been at the forefront of all of the the some of the worst uh, atrocities. They they're they they use their wealth for the, all the wrong things. I'm not I'm not opposed to people getting wealthy, have a great idea, start a business, do do things the right way, get successful. That's all great, but but these people that are being forced, that are put in positions to, um, well, like, as an example, who's giving us this new metaverse and and, and new dystopian hellscape of uh, food, uh, n- none other than Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg. Don't you find it interesting that they both have identical origin stories? They both started a transformational technology company out of their dorm rooms at Harvard as freshmen. Uh, Geeky guys with partners, you know, worked on these things, wound up leaving, have questionable uh, financing ties to their projects. Obviously, Facebook has 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 questions about that. Microsoft did as well. And they go on to start these these massive corporations that become behemoths. And uh, and then they start creating foundations to then shield their wealth. I mean, they've, they've, they've followed a very similar trajectory. So I'm not surprised that they're all sort of working to create this new version of reality. I'm not certain. I'm not certain that these guys are authentic in in anything. I'm not certain that (laughs) that, that a a guy like Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates hasn't been planted there or at least had his, you know, his their families uh, sort of uh, on board with this this whole thing, because uh, whether it's uh, starting it in a garage in Silicon Valley, like HP or Apple or or Google or all these origin stories there, or or you started in a, a freshman dorm room at Harvard, they just seem like they're recycling old old backstories and using them for the new guys. And 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 yeah. one of the things I I noticed when they when uh, I saw the the I don't know if it was a commercial it wasn't a commercial it was some sort of like. Feature showing what meta is for the metaverse, their little promo video. If you watch that thing play out uh, when the there's a little bit of graphic design that happens in the end when the logo kind of swirls around and when it swirls around, it swirls around temporarily into a rainbow of colors, which is the exact same logo that all the World Economic Forum people are wearing. So it kind of gives you if you're watching it kind of gives you a little nod. You're like, oh, I see that. Isn't that I the see sustainable that in, in meta- development
0: goal symbol too though? The like that's circle. It, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's
1: it. That that's the one. Yeah. The the sustainable development circle thing. So it's like it's sort of a nod like, we're on this team. It's like, OK, well, I know I know what that team is. That's not the team I want to be on. So.
0: Yeah. Well, talking about these backstories. Right. I mean, I've talked about the, the origins of Facebook and I mean, how it was basically set up to um, Peter Thiel's involvement while he was trying to revive all of these DARPA programs that got shut down. Um uh, by congress um in like 2003 2004 he turned total information awareness into palantir and then he <laughs> went and became the biggest investor in facebook and made it an analog of darpa's lifelog program that was out of that same office um at darpa and if you look at you know pretty much all these silicon valley companies their backstory is had college dropouts in their garage they were tinkering around and look what they made and i mean if you look at all of these guys uh it's it's pretty clear the national security ties uh were there either from the very beginning or followed not long after these companies got set up right yeah. um and you know that's true for bill gates that we know at least uh by 1995 he was making a bunch of uh, shady deals with the maxwell family um involved with uh Jeffrey Epstein back that early potentially earlier right um or uh Google uh being involved with uh getting you know a CIA involvement from the very beginning NQTEL funding all of that stuff um yeah. it's it's pretty clear that these <laughs> these guys were allowed to develop the monopolies they have uh, for a particular reason. And and they're not really the private companies you think they are. They're really more of this private public uh, model, because at least today, um, even if it wasn't evident in the beginning, most of them, um, if not all of them, are essentially government contractors or have some sort of obvious documented partnership with intelligence agencies for data collection um, and, and things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the backstory is, is absurd. And, you know, this is, the metaverse is really, um, a lot of that infrastructure has been developed by DARPA, uh, in the military. And you see the military and big tech coming together on things like the National Security Commission on, uh, artificial intelligence to really like essentially shape this whole market area within the U.S., which includes the metaverse together. You know, um, you know, it's important to point that stuff out. This wasn't just like, zuckerberg's idea and his sales pitch is clownish we can be closer together all the time we can develop new things with great joy and his whole i mean zuckerberg doesn't believe that shit and he's not gonna live in the the metaverse either like you watch the sales pitch too and he's like look you can uh, make your home space your fake home in the metaverse that isn't real um look like you have a view of the most beautiful place in the world and he makes it like a view of a beach uh, that dude owns like a whole island in hawaii and he's kicking indigenous hawaiians <laughs> out of it he doesn't need the metaverse to have that view he just fucking takes it from people you, you know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so oh, and, it's like you just, this you, is just for know you there's gonna be peon. there's gonna be covid in the metaverse right like, everyone's going to have to get vaccinated in the metaverse. You're going to be like, this sucks. Oh, man. <laughs> I came here thinking I was going to get away from this, and I caught, I, I caught metaverse AIDS or something. You know, they'll do some – you know, these guys are such maniacs. They'll be out there uh, creating all of the worst components of society uh, inside this metaverse so that it will, you know, remind you of home.
0: Uh, remind you of home. It'll be, like, the only way they'll be like, you want to you wanna... – feel like you're in the forest or with grass under your feet only way to do it is the metaverse because you've out you know you haven't you've spent uh you've existed too much and and gone beyond the the limits of carbon and whatever else that we have prescribed so the only way you can experience any of that is to do it virtually it's insane uh this is a crazy world we are making for ourselves. well i i know charlie that your book Uh, touches on a lot of craziness far beyond what we've talked about today, essentially covering um, the world of cultural double standards. Um, And uh, is there anything uh, from there that you'd like to uh, touch on before we wrap up for today?
1: Well, it's funny that I start the book uh, talking about some of the hypocritical components of society. And I mention private jets with Al Gore and John Travolta and Leonardo DiCaprio and all the Davos crowd. So it's it's kind of appropriate that we, we we start by talking about all of the the inbound jets to discuss climate, you know, and, and Leonardo DiCaprio flying off to Europe to accept his his uh, sustainable development achievement award and then making a detour after that trip and heading down to the south of France to go party for a week on a a yacht, the fifth largest yacht in the world. That carbon footprint is as big as most as, as some small cities. And and so when you see stuff like this, it's just like – like it's funny when Leonardo DiCaprio does it or John Travolta who's got a bunch of airplanes and is talking about climate change and things like that. So it's it's sort of like ha-ha funny and ironic and look at these dummies. But it it takes a more serious turn when you start to get into some of the other uh, hypocritical components of this about uh, Saul Alinsky's plans where you talk about uh, – how how these people are are using the 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 woke mob as a as a force for you know to culturally subvert the current society. So, I what I wanted to do in the book was was show people where this hypocrisy is is pooling mostly in in the media, the corporate media, obviously the government. The covid cult, the woke mob, all these people, the you know, the religious organizations and then show as many examples of it and footnote this insanity as as best I can, because, you know, I had to put four hundred and eighty footnotes in there because when you're talking about some of this, some of these these things that sound too nuts to be real you kind of have to show your work or else people will just assume you're being silly or yeah. you're being you know you're just being over the top with it and it's like no I could I couldn't be this funny if I tried I couldn't point I mean I couldn't I couldn't do things like like criminalize the collection of rainwater in Oregon and make it a you know a crime to collect that on your property I mean I, I couldn't I couldn't ever come up with with you know the, the sorts of things that they're that they're that they're doing. I'm not that funny, but, but I can, I can certainly document it and define it and, and show, so I put, I put, the cover of the book has uncle Sam, that, that uncle Sam character, uh, in a straight jacket, uh, in an insane asylum in a padded room. And I think that I, I feel like if people take a look at that, at that book cover, they'll, they'll say, Oh, I get it. I know what you're talking about. We've all gone insane here. Yes, it's true. We have all gone insane, but, um, but there's some funny parts throughout it. Of course, I, I do a, a nice little, uh, uh you know, I, I, have some fun with the guys, you know, like the televangelist hypocrites, like Joel Osteen and Ted Haggard and Jimmy Swagger and all those guys that, you know, I talk about the, the, the religion of the state, statism and those sorts of, of of hypocritical beliefs that people have that the state is going to come and save them and things like that. And I also, of course, get into the never ending like fear porn that we get from the mainstream media with Y2K and Anthrax and West Nile virus and MN, weapons of mass destruction and SARS and just a, a long list of every single year there's a new catastrophe that's going to kill all of us. And so I made I put a lot of charts in there and had a, had a good time with it. So I think people will be, um, I think, I think that the, the humorous parts will keep them laughing, keep them in there, sticking with it. I think the footnotes will give them a place to go to sort of see that I'm not just making up this, uh, you know, this insanity, it's actually real and it's documented and it's, it's actually happening. Um, and I so I think that it's a nice way for people to get a good uh, – like if you like The Daily Show when Jon Stewart was doing it and you like to laugh at a good ridiculous story but still understand the story that Jon Stewart was talking about, I feel like this book could do a uh, – is kind of in that same vein. It's, it's funny, but I also recognize that we are laughing at some things that are very serious, and so it, it, I try to find that balance. So if people are interested, they can find – Find it on Amazon um, in digital format as a Kindle and also as a paperback. Hypocrisy—it's just—it's like the word hypocrisy, but I—I I switched out the, the, the two two of the letters at the at the end, so it says hypocrisy. Uh, surviving in a world of cultural double standards—I think a lot of people are going to relate to the book. It came out a couple of weeks ago. It's been doing very well, so people can can find that there, or they can connect with me at my website, the octopus of global Control.com, where they can find out about my podcast, macro aggressions, my group podcast, the union of the unwanted, uh, that we do, uh, twice a month. It's been a whole lot of fun and, um, uh, and everything else that I'm up to is there.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Charlie, for coming back on uh, for the third time. Really appreciated having you and your insights and also uh, your humor uh, present to talk about these uh, increasingly dark themes. Um, But I mean, sometimes really you do have to laugh at these people because they're so insane and hypocritical and it's just uh i mean it's clown world you know it's it's dark and it's it's crazy but man it really is clown world and sometimes we just have to laugh at these people who think they are our, our overlords i think in in a way it it helps and um for those not familiar with uh charlie's work uh well you may have sort of gotten an introduction to this and in, in this and previous podcasts uh here but he's uh incredible at weaving together uh in uh, uh insights in, into these issues with humor so if that is up your street Be sure to check out his stuff. Um, For listeners of Unlimited Hangout, you can look forward to next week a little more coverage um, of COP26. I'll hopefully uh, be doing a a video panel uh, with Corey Morningstar, potentially Ian Davis of In This Together, who was on my last episode um, as well. Um, Talking about a lot of uh, the companies and things to come out of COP26, we still have another week of that to go so I'm sure there will be new uh much more uh, news to analyze and in other news uh, just so people are aware um I will probably be slowing down uh the frequency of podcasts and content pretty soon uh, to take maternity leave as I am due um next month so not a lot of time between then and now Uh, So hopefully there will be another episode or two before then. Uh, But uh, just so people are aware that my uh, content output may uh, start to slide a bit um, because of that. But uh, I I am doing my best because there is always always important stuff to cover uh, that is ongoing. Um, So anyway, uh, thanks so much to everyone who supports this podcast and catch you during the next episode.